Oh, welcome to On to Mox with F.P. Wellman. I am Fred Wellman, the host of the show. I am thrilled to have you. We have got a, a lot going on. I, I believe there's more Donald Trump indictments we probably won't talk about in this show. Uh, a lot, I imagine a lot of people in the Minus Touch Network are going to be a Donald Trump indictment talk, but uh, we've got a great guest, Representative Abigail Spamberger from Virginia is joining us. Thrilled to have her, former CIA officer. I, I mean, I don't want to waste any time. Let's get on with the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am still Fred Wellman. I'm still the host of the show. You're still here with us on the Moss Touch Network or wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, obscure places. Don't care. Love having you watch the show or listen to it. You know, I wanted to start. There's, there's a lot going on. A lot of chickens are coming home to roost right now. And there's one chicken that keeps showing up. And that's Robert F. Kennedy Jr., you know, he had his big appearance for the weaponization of the federal government subcommittee last week, and it was full of fireworks and probably perjury, uh, as he repeatedly denied his own words that were caught on tape before and multiple times said, I didn't say that. So I don't know if you get in trouble anymore with this Congress for being, you know, perjuring yourself, but in other places you might, you know, and I was really thrilled to see how the House Democrats actually went hard on him as opposed to the more subtle and nuanced approach they use with the IRS whistleblowers. I think we talked about it before. You know, RFK Jr., I'm sorry, does not deserve a soft, understandable hand, you know, patty pate, you know, cake little holding. He is a very, very virulent anti-vaccinator. He's conspiracy theorist. And more importantly for me and frustrating to me is he's definitely being pushed by the Republicans. I mean, what does it all mean? The Republicans have been relentlessly pushing him. He was mentioned, I just saw a story today on the Washington Post. He was mentioned on Fox News over 80 times since April. (laughs) Okay. A Democrat as 80 pieces on Fox News. He was a guest and witness for the Republicans last week at that subcommittee hearing, not the Democrats. So is it making a difference? Well, as always, we go to the polls and the polls aren't great for him, thankfully. You know, he started off last month with polls as high as 20% and which anyone who understands early polls in an in in election cycle like this. So, you know, for those who are political insiders, this is the off year. Um, the year before an election starts off, it's considered an off year. As you know, the first, we may have some dates, debates coming up soon, but the first primary isn't until January or February. So this is considered an off year. So, you know, early polls are hard to really get excited about, although everybody likes to. And the early polls, though, he was getting 20%, but it's really hard to resist saying it's it's likely because of his name recognition i mean rfk jr robert f kennedy jr is a pretty big family name and if you're not dabbling in politics right now you're not turning tuning in the news i have a lot of people tell me they're not you know hey a kennedy i mean to the casual observer they're excited that somebody of the famed kennedy clan is stepping up but then like i call it the ron DeSantis effect by the way then the ron DeSantis effect kicks in and that is when people actually start learning about this person their numbers go down because when they learn about him, they find it's pretty bad. Um, Quinnipiac University, I always get that name wrong. My God, I love your I love your polls, but I can never pronounce your name. <laughs> they released a poll last week showing Republicans continue to like Kennedy. Republicans, by a two to one margin, in fact. But this is interesting. Among Democrats, his image was two to one negative. <laughs> in other words, Republicans like this guy who is supposedly a Democrat not, uh, candidate for con- uh, president more than the Democrats he's supposedly trying to convince to, to um, support him. As a matter of fact, in a University of New Hampshire poll, just 9% had a favorable opinion of RFK Jr. compared with 69% who had an unfavorable view. And this is my favorite part. The survey asked people to use one word to described Kennedy and the most popular words were crazy, dangerous, insane, <laughs> nut job, conspiracy, or a crackpot. Now look, I'm not a political expert, although I, you could argue maybe I know some stuff. Those don't seem good if you're running for president as the main words that people come up with to describe you, but I could be wrong. Uh, the same poll still showed Kennedy, though, pulling 10% in the state's Democratic primary compared to Biden at 70%. That's nothing, okay? But Kennedy was the second choice, and this is very interesting to me. Kennedy was the second choice of only 4% of voters. As a matter of fact, interestingly enough, many people said they would never, ever vote for him. And if Biden wasn't on the ballot and it was Kennedy, they'd write in Biden, 30%. (laughs) Okay? That's how disliked he is in the Democratic electorate. So it'll be interesting to see how long he stays in this. But, you know, people are seeing it now. They're seeing his anti-vaccine stuff. 
They're seeing him blame the US and Ukraine for Russia's illegal invasion. They saw the veiled anti-Semitism of his comments last week about the COVID um, virus targeting uh, certain people. So uh, again, I think it's like Ron DeSantis, which I beat up a lot of my videos, uh, I think as people find out about RFK Jr., they're gonna find out he's not great. And then on top of that, he's funded by, this, by, by the same people that support DeSantis and is pumped up by Steve Bannon. So look, that's all I need to know. We have a democracy to save. We really do. And crazy sock puppet candidates like RFK Jr. or others aren't going to do it. Third party candidates like no labels aren't going to do it. We really do have a choice. We can either choose to pursue democracy or we can choose a very dark place on the other side. Um, split in the middle isn't the right thing to do. I just hope you'll stick with that. I think we'll go ahead and get our first We'll go ahead and go to our sponsors. Before we go to our incredible guest, Representative Abigail Spamberger, stick with us for a minute, a couple of sponsors, and we're going to go right into our interview. with This episode of On Democracy is brought to you by Manicora Honey. Now, when I say honey, you're probably thinking those bear-shaped balls you find at the supermarket. And let me tell you something. This is nothing like that. Manicora makes Manuka Honey. A super honey comes from New Zealand, where the bees only feed on the nectar of the Manuka tree tree, making something that's rich, herbaceous, and complex with a creamier texture that's unlike anything you've ever tried before. And I really mean that. You can use it just like the honey you're used to, but Manuka honey is super because it also contains a unique antioxidants and prebiotics, as well as natural antibacterial compound called MGO that only comes from the nectar of this specific tea tree. Now, these nutrients support optimal immune and digestive health, so it's a win-win. You can continue to use honey in all the ways you love, and you can enjoy all the health benefits of MGO as well. Manicora sent me a jar, actually a jar, a squeeze bottle, and then some actually portable ones, which are in my luggage now. It's a bottle of their 850 Plus MGO Manuka Honey, their best-selling product. Now, the 850 Plus Honey has this creamy caramel texture that melts your mouth and is unlike anything I've ever tried. I can grab a spoonful of it out of the jar to put in my favorite beverage. I like to squeeze it on my uh, my English muffin with some butter because that's how I like to eat it. Or on you know toast oatmeal. It's just really delicious. I and mean, look, if you live in the South, butter biscuit with honey, like this stuff's amazing. If you head to Montacora.com slash Fred or use code Fred, you'll automatically get an extra free pack of 850 plus honey sticks with your order. That's a $15 value. Now, I love the jar and the squeeze ball, but the extra pack of compostable honey sticks is perfect for wherever you go. Like I said, I put it in my luggage. You can bring them with you whenever you're traveling. If you need a quick snack during a running or when you're running errands, they're the perfect energy boost if you're out for a run or at the gym. You know, I, as you guys know, I walk three to five miles a day. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash Fred or use code Fred at checkout to get a free pack of compostable honey sticks with your order. You haven't tasted or seen honey like this before. I mean that. I mean, I, I'm always a skeptic myself, but this was a, it's a wonderful product. So indulge, try some honey with the superpowers from Manicor. And we're back from our great sponsors. I am so excited to uh, get to our guests as quickly as I can. Uh, I am thrilled to have Congresswoman Spamberger with us. Uh, she is uh, <laughs> actually represents where I used to live in Virginia. She represents the people of the 7th District of, of, of the U.S. House, which is a dramatically different district than it was when you started. I know <laughs> uh, her career has been defined by public service. First serving as a federal agent, the U.S. Postal Inspection Service, working money laundering and narcotics cases. You then served at home and abroad as a CIA case officer, focused on counterterrorism and nonproliferation efforts and you were first elected to the house in 2018 and serve on the house agriculture committee and most importantly the u.s house intelligence committee ma'am thank you welcome to the show it's great to have you thank you for having me so um let's just get off the hot topic of the day that we've been talking a lot about here in this show i've done a couple of videos for our friends that might touch about tommy tuberville um I, he's been a, a thorn in our side for a long time i actually when i was working the lincoln project i did a whole bit about his fake veterans foundation so i've been intimate with mr tuberville mm -hmm. for a while and you know he's this whole military promotion just keeps dragging out now president biden's added the new chief of naval operations which is wonderful uh, admiral franchetti is a, a very talented uh leader and i'm thrilled to have her getting the job but the longer this drags out, the more outrageous it gets, I think. And he likes to claim that military leaders are telling him he's right. And I've got a feeling you're talking to different military leaders. You know, what are what do you hear from no actual military leaders? No one is telling him he's right. It's all bullshit, right? Uh, <laughs> rest assured, no one is telling him he's right. Yeah, and, and what he's doing is he is standing in the way of 
not only the promotions of individuals, but their ability to do the job. Right. Um, the, the fact that I represent Quantico, so I represent um, uh, you know, thousands of Marines active duty yeah. and then so many more uh, Marine veterans. Yep. And the idea that there is no commandant of the Marine Corps is just stunning. Yeah. Um, and that is because of Tommy Tuberville. There are military facilities across the country that either aren't getting the leadership that was supposed to transfer in PCS in this summer or are on track to not necessarily get the military leadership that's supposed to be leading them. Uh, you know, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, he is uh, done in October. If this continues, does this mean that, you know, if Tuberville has his way, we won't have a chairman of the Joint Chiefs? I mean, the list goes on and on. The Pentagon estimate, estimates by the end of the year, there'll be more than 650 positions unfilled. Uh, if he keeps this up, it's it's outrageous. It's terrible, and it is absolutely dangerous to our national security. And you said something the other day. You were drawing on something that General Brown said, which Brown said they're doing workarounds, like they're they're adjusting. And I, I mean, I mean, think about what you're saying. I believe his quote is, "We are mitigating for these challenges." Right. And and the idea that any military leader anywhere is planning for or reacting to or you know adjusting to challenges created by one united states senator is it's outrageous it is outrageous it's i mean i said my laundry list of adjectives in my anger and his incompetence and his obstructionism is just you know i would go on and on i could do a full alphabet well, it's the arrogance, and it gets to the policy. And DOJ, I believe, already did rule that the policy does not violate the Hyde Amendment. They're not paying for abortions, right? They're paying for the travel okay. expenses that go with it. Uh, much like I've joked on the show a couple of times, I'm sure guests are tired, listeners are tired of it. But you know, when I when I needed uh, to see a neurologist, and I was at Old Fort Rucker, I had to go to Fort Benning Fort. That was TDY. It was paid for. I mean, this is necessary health care for women. And you're you're a mom. You understand that these are what we're talking about: is reproductive care and abortion is necessary health care that's not available in the states. We're forced than to be stationed in. I mean, that, what's your take on that Hyde Amendment argument? It's not factual. Okay. There are not any federal dollars that, I mean, it, it is, it, it, taxpayer dollars are not paying for abortions. Taxpayer dollars are uninvolved in this. It is the military is saying if a woman needs to consult with a physician or have any sort of medical, and it's not just abortion, you know, fertility treatments. If right. a woman might need to travel for particular, you know, healthcare needs, that is just what happens. Yeah, when I was a CIA officer and I was posted overseas, if healthcare that you or your dependent family members needed weren't available um, in in the country where you were assigned, they would bring you back home. I uh, my middle daughter was born overseas, and they were very clear: if you do not think that you'll get U.S. level medical care throughout the course of your pregnancy and delivery, we will medically evacuate you back home. Yep. Right, and that's because you are only in such and such location. Um, and, and sometimes it's an issue of you might be in a rural place where, you know, in your case, the physicians you needed weren't local. Right. For some cases, as is, you know, currently the challenge, some state laws are making it so that the options that women need might not be available in all states. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the thing is, and I think Kirby did, a, uh, Admiral Kirby, retired Admiral Kirby did a great job just laying out. I was like, this is a major challenge for recruitment. This is a major challenge for reenlistment. You know, I mean, it, it is getting very ugly. For, and, and I see the same thing in probably the intelligence community where it's hard for those of us who served. I'm a veteran, 22 years, you know, army, you know, combat. It's hard for me to tell my kids or especially my, my women, you know, hey, you should join. It's great. <laughs> you know, I mean, that we're seeing uh, that's where recruitment's falling off, isn't it? Well, and it, I think it's important to note, it's not just related to, you know, in this particular case, one senator's mad about the fact that a woman might get a couple of days off to go, you know, potentially meet with the doctor, potentially to consider whether or not she might, um, you know, whether, whether abortion's, you know, a, a choice she's going to make. It's not about abortion. The challenge that this creates for our military overall is that we are seeing, in this case, a senator, and uh, maybe we'll talk about the NDAA in that case, you know, so far as the House of Representatives, yep. trying to insert politics into the military. Now, and president to president, administration to administration, you know, there's certainly ebbs and flows. Politics, of course, is yeah. not outside no. of the day to day. But the fact that politics is engaging in which books 
might be available at DOD schools or politics might be engaging, you know, in a woman's healthcare options or politics might be engaging in what type of mental health services you can get for your dependent child who might be struggling. Like that's where this becomes a real challenge on the recruitment side is if you have someone looking at whether or not they might stay in the military, right. one, how respected or, or not are they by a United States Senator who says, no, no, that job, that job is, you know, yeah. a commandant of the Marine Corps that can go unfilled, Whatever. right? Like that in and of itself for the Marines in that chain of command to see a Senator say that position doesn't seem all that necessary. Yeah. I'll just keep it empty for a while. Like morale, overall sense of respect. And then the fact that it's all being done for a political reason for service members, and, and certainly I think you and I are the same in this, you know, uh, I was CIA under the Hatch Act, you were yeah. Army, uh, yeah. and, and we served missions, and politics was not in my day-to-day. I was a pretty, ever. I was outside of politics because you didn't bring it to the job ever. Ever. And so now that it's being injected into these spaces, uh, it, it's, I'm hearing from a lot of the folks that I represent that they like to keep their politics at home or in the polling, you know, in the polling yeah. booth. But yeah. the idea that it's coming day to day to their workplace and particularly on these areas that impact their families, yeah. that, that is causing major challenges. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm of the old school. I got commissioned. Wait, I'm going to tell you how old I am. I got commissioned in 1987. I think so it's I, on Wikipedia. Go ahead. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm old as dirt. So I'm a grandpa, for God's sake. Um, but, you know, I got commissioned in 1987. There was actually a tradition then. People people find it shocking that traditionally officers didn't vote. That very often for, yeah. many, for many years, the tradition was, I was still part of that late later part of the of the, of the the tradition of officers. We, we, were, we were so apolitical, we didn't even vote. I remember telling people, I don't vote for my boss. That's weird. And and I, I changed my mind later in my career, but in those early days, you know, we were so apolitical, we didn't even vote a lot of time. And so you're right, and you got you brought it up. The NDAA was just shocking to me. I mean, it, it, the, that like you said, national security has become a football for the Republican Party. And watching the debate unfold was just shocking. I mean, they packed in. You mentioned it, anti-abortion. They packed in. Oh my God, the transphobia, the the, the trans speech from from uh, was it Rosendale? Uh, I I was shocked. Uh, the book banning from Lauren Boebert uh, on Doe. D-O-D-E-A schools because she doesn't know it's Dodia. Dodia. <laughs> I mean, I was like, come on, you know. And then the for those who are listeners don't understand, those insiders, nobody calls it D-O-D-E-A, the, the education act. It's Dodia. Everybody calls it Dodia. It just shows you're not local, you know. And then dismantling DEI programs. If you is, don't know it's called Dodia, maybe you shouldn't be making all sorts of right. rules about what's happening. You should right. right. schools. It goes right to it. It's a laundry list of MAGA fantasies. I mean, what was that like for you yeah. watching all this unfold as a former CIA case officer, you're sitting there in the house watching this outrageous behavior directly going to our national security. You know, I, I think there's a couple elements that made it even sadder, not to, not to drag it out, but no, the Armed Services Committee of the House, and I, I serve on the Intel Committee, I don't mm-hmm. serve on the Armed Services Committee, but, you know, many of my friends do, and so I watch, yeah. um, and I put forth a variety of, me- of amendments for inclusion in yeah. the NDAA anyway. Yeah. So I was watching it very closely, and they go back and forth, and, and some of these efforts were brought up in committee, yep. and they were killed in committee. Yep. And the committee passed a piece of legislation, the House Committee, out of committee, uh, 58 to 1. So one person out of all of the members of the Armed Services Committee, one person voted against uh, the the committee legislation, right? Totally bipartisan. That's pretty bipartisan. They had worked out their differences. You know, you you like this, you love that, eh, not so happy, but I'll still vote for it. Right? That's the legislative process. Then it gets to the House floor, and all of those members who had worked for months on getting a bill out of committee just watched as they, uh, you know, drop in legislative text after legislative text and amendments that just absolutely went against every effort that had been taken in that, uh, in the armed services committee to get a bill, uh, that could, you know, pass out a committee that is supposed to go to the floor. You know, the rest of us say, okay, we're not on the committee. They agree with this. You know, maybe we'll add or, you know, do a little tweak here or there, but we're not supposed to mess it up in the way that frankly, uh, was, was done. And I think that it's, in that context, it's not that we live in a world where Democrats and Republicans can't agree on a National Defense Authorization Act, and this is just where we are. That's not the reality. Right. The reality is, fifty. Well, yeah, fifty-eight people agreed out of fifty-nine. Yep. 
And then it came to the House floor and the kind of extreme right wing just brought every cause they wanted to fight over to the bill. You know, and, and sadly, not enough Republicans voted against that to bring it back to what it had been out of committee. Yeah. That, that coward who say what you describe as the actual legislative process, how it's supposed to work, right? But I mean, and, and segueing back to what you were talking about earlier, or circling back to, to Tuberville. Tuberville is doing what he does because they don't want to participate in the proper legislative. There is a legislative process that could that could yeah. that fight back against a policy he doesn't like the DOD. The 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 blue the blue tag for the column isn't meant to be that way. It's the same thing with this, right? The, the committee process means it goes. But you know what? If you're not on the committee, you don't get your time on Fox News, right? <laughs> you know, you don't get your, you know, you know, Lauren Bobert doesn't get her little act where she gets to talk about, do, do, you know, and that's a lot of times it's it's more of a pantomime for TV than an actual for legislative process, which I know has to be hard for people like you. And I was going to talk about it later, but I mean, bring it now. It's like, you do a lot of bipartisan things. You know, I was looking at your, as we were preparing for the show, I do a lot of research and, and you, 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 you feel, you're proud of the fact you feel bipartisan bills. A lot of those things you talk about a lot is like, hey, I'm real proud to have my name on this bipartisan bill. I think you just did one on parent fees, paying fees to be with your kids and a plan, you know, and others. And, and it's got to be hard to, to play bipartisan in this environment. How do you find yourself being able to find? I mean, there are I, you know, I know you talk to Matt Gallagher a lot. He's one of us, um, you know, but still, where do you find the energy for bipartisan at this point? <laughs> well, you know, I think I started when I started in the House. The Democrats were in charge and the Republicans were in charge in the Senate. So right. by the very nature, if you want your bill to become law, you got to certainly right. you need enough votes to pass it out of the House. And you know, previously we could do that with just Democrats. Yeah. But then it has to go somewhere in the Senate. So unless you got Republicans and, you know, frankly, even then my second term in Congress, it was Democrats in charge in the House and Democrats in charge in the Senate. But you still got the filibuster. Yeah. So and now it's Senate Democrats are in charge and we've got Republicans in the House. If I want to legislate and achieve something legislatively for the people that I represent, then I have to make sure that the coalition is big enough that, you know, the desire to pass the bill is there, um, that the desire to pass it in the Senate, you know, I can make it, um, and then ultimately get it to the president's desk. And, you know, I had border security legislation signed into law by President Trump. Um, and by, by President Biden. And, and I think in a district like mine, you know, mine is classified as a toss-up district. I yeah. flipped my seat back in 2018. Yep. Um, Trump had won my district by almost seven points when I won it. Um, and my predecessor had won by double digits in 2016 before I ran in 2018. So you know, I have a lot of people in my district who agree with me, a lot of people who don't. Yeah. And then some in the middle who it depends on the issue. You know, some of them were willing to vote for me. Some of them weren't. And so, you know, in the workplace across my district, right, people yeah. work together in, yeah. you know, for, you know, military members or business members or kids in school, like people have to work together. And frankly, sometimes our differences can make us stronger. Yeah. You know, if, if I'm only preaching to the choir, then maybe I'm not, you know, hearing other people's opinions and I'm not bringing whatever message of, you know, legislative message I'm trying to bring to others. If I think the policy I'm advocating for is right, then I should try and bring it to anyone. Um, it would be a, a fellow Democrats who might naturally be slightly more inclined yeah. um, or Republicans who, you know, might need a little bit more convincing. Cause if I can convince my colleagues and I can make my case to my constituents and if I can make my case to my constituents, then I can convince my colleagues. Um, it's about coalition building. And, you know, again, if, if I think I'm pursuing a policy that's good, why wouldn't I want everyone to, <laughs> no, it's good. And, and, to get that message? They may not all agree, but at least I've tried, right? Yeah, and I'm a fan of that. We had uh, we had a young woman here on, if you, you probably don't catch the show, but uh, a woman named uh, Crystal Quaid. She is the House Minority Leader here in Missouri. And Crystal is in a super minority state. Everything she does has to have somebody else's name on it. But again, if you sacrifice, if you sacrifice pride and ownership for good policy and legislating, um, you have to believe there's an opportunity for that to come back to you. And, and, and I think that's why you probably why you got reelected over the crazies. Now, I, I have to bring up, you know, talking about that, you know, Margie Taylor Green's telling her she's going to be on the conference committee for the for the NDAA. I mean, that's really unusual. I mean, I, I think a lot of people were kind of eyes went through their foreheads to hear the non, a non-House Armed Services Committee member is going to be on the conference committee for the NDAA. I mean, what does that mean to you? And <laughs> how far how far did your eyebrows go up on that one? <laughs> 
You know, whatever it's meant to signal, um, and I'm sure that it's probably somebody trying to signal something that she's on that conference committee and um, you <laughs> know, that she's going to be engaged in, in yeah. coming together between the House and the Senate. Um, I think the reality is, is that it will be uh, predominantly House leadership of that committee, which, by the way, has already shown that they can bring people together and come yeah. up with a bipartisan solution. Which is why they're on that committee. Senate leadership. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I expect that uh, the the good news is I expect that her role on that conference committee will be relatively irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, but the bad news is somebody somewhere, and I guess that would be Speaker McCarthy, thought it was important to signal that she would yeah. be involved, um, yeah. even if uh, she may be deemed irrelevant. That's the thing. I know it's leading the efforts. Forgive my memory. It's been a while since I worked on the Hill. I did work on the Hill for a bit. Um, do con- conference committees don't necessarily hold hearings, do they? It's mostly done in private, if I'm correct, or... Am yeah, I crazy it, on that one? It, it is, uh, yeah, typically it will just be uh, kind of committee member to committee member, staff to staff. Yeah. Um, and then they just bring it back to the full house yeah. or the full Senate. Right. So there's no Fox News hits on that. So I don't see what the point is. <laughs> you know, I mean, cause I do remember we did, we ended up getting Committee Act, I want to say 2016 for the VA bill, uh, is when we were fighting to get IVF and reproductive health care approved for veterans who were injured in combat. And it was in that year it went to committee. And we were really thrilled that, frankly, a lot of your Republican colleagues were the ones who fought for it, um, realizing that, um, you know, a veteran gets injured in combat part of his healing is having children perhaps and that should be paid for. So, you know, I, um, Another thing, obviously, probably the news is breaking as we speak. I, I can't even keep up the news anymore. There's a very good chance the ex-president got yet another indictment against him in between us talking and then this going broadcast. But, you know, the, the, <laughs> you know I like there's a trial date now set for the Trump. I call it the Trump espionage case, by the way. That's messaging. <laughs> the Trump espionage case. Um, and they continue to downplay those documents that were left unsecure. And I really want to bring this up with you as a former CIA officer. And, you know, obviously, I was an Army officer with a top secret clearance myself. I mean, it's it's it, the, the way everybody's trying to minimize what we were looking at in some of those pictures and, and what was being done, what Walter Nauda was actually talking about when you talk about a 5 A's document. How bad is this? How bad is the risk to our classified documents with the exposure we're hearing about? Let me take a deep breath. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a big pause there. Right? (laughs) I mean, I have so many, so many questions. And and frankly, some of them I started to get answered um, along the way because of, you know, because I am a member of Congress and I get to ask some of these questions. But the reality of what we're looking at is a, a, a president was able to pack up into boxes. Yeah. Some of our nation's most classified secret documents. And it's not just, you know, we know X, Y, Z about, you know, ABC country. It is, this is how we would engage militarily if a war were to break out with ABC country, right? Like that is about protecting our service members. That is about maintaining our battlefield advantage. Yeah. Right. Um, It is, you know, about protecting the sources and methods. So that might be people who are in inner circles of various countries and leadership, you know, groupings around the world that are telling us information, right? Uh, Or the methods, our ability to get information on world leaders, on other plans and intentions, on other, you know, countries' military planning, however uh, we may be able to do that. You know, and, and so the idea that this information is out there just sitting in bathrooms and ballrooms at some hotel in Florida is unbelievable. And, you know, any colleague I ever had at CIA and we handled classified information every single day, like everything I touched in the workplace was classified by the virtue of our job. The idea that somebody would just have that information, remove it from the place where you're allowed to have it and just, you know, keep it at their home. I mean, then any, any, any regular person would be in jail for the rest of their life. Like hands down, no questions asked. Like, they you know, have. and we're not dealing with a normal pre- person, right? No. He was the president. But if you're the president, you are supposed to want to protect those secrets. You are not supposed to bring them out and sort of show them to reporters to curry favor or, I mean, they already think you're cool. You were the president, right? right. Like you don't have to impress people with the fact that you had access to intelligence. It's, it's, it's awful. And it's, it's not awful. just that. And, it's not- and it, you know, it also speaks to, 
like now adversary nations have a better understanding of what our processes are. Yeah. Right. So, you know, we're talking about Trump, but what does this mean for the foreign country that says, wait a second. So a president in the United States just gets to have a stack of papers in their office that they can keep like highly sensitive military planning documents. What we know about a foreign country's, you know, technology and, you know, such and such, you know, particularly important space. Yeah. Well, now they know maybe we target, you know, the people in that building. Maybe we, like, their ability to get after that information, you know, we've, we've given people a lot of ideas about how they can collect against us. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's a weakness that this situation, apart from the president, former president's outrageously irresponsible behavior. Yeah. Um, we've also demonstrated some weaknesses in the system that other people might, other nations might choose to exploit. And I talk about a lot, a lot of people keep saying, oh, like, I, I would love it when the, the MAGA chuds online come at me, like, oh, like he gave it to China. Okay. Well, I talk about quite a bit as a, as a especially veteran of Desert Shield and Desert Storm and, and Iraq One. I mean, I, I, I get to do all the invasions. It's my thing. Uh, and <laughs> a friendly name. I mean, let's just, I don't know. Let's do a hyperbole. Let's, let's do a, hyper, a, a thought process. What if we have a plan that is in his desk about Iran? And part of that plan, as you and I know, is logistics and perhaps what ports it, we would want to use and what countries would be the basis of our operations for this military operation. That could be really really good information for a friendly country that wants to gain leverage on us and say, hey, look, the only way you're using our port is if we get nuclear energy or nuclear bombs. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. But but I, I, I counter like, yeah, it, it, uh, uh, classified stuff is yeah. also bad for us with our friends. Right. That, that's right. And it's OK. Well, so we're we're central to their plan in a war against such and such country. Well, right. let's see if they want to use our port, if they want to transit our nation. What does that mean? Yep. Right. And what, how much is that going to cost us? What do they want in exchange? Uh, or if adversaries see it now, all of a sudden we've created vulnerabilities for our friends and allies because yep. that port is less useful to us. If you know, there's some sort of attack that renders it less usable or the main right. roadway, right. And a series of bridges. If you know, somebody decides to make them less than usable, yeah. you know, we, not only are they not available for us as part of a military plan, but they, we might risk this physical infrastructure in some of our friends and partners countries. Yeah. The layers and layers, as we like to say, as in our business, the second and third order effects are, and this is what makes me so angry. Everybody's playing checkers with these things. There's second and third order, deep second and third order effects to these documents being the friends, hands of even quote friends, if you will. Uh, and it makes me very nervous. I, I, I can show you why you're upset. You know, I think this might be a great place for us to take a brief pause for some of our, our sponsors. We have a great set of sponsors and we'll come right back and I'd like to talk to you about Virginia. Let's stop cutting down trees to make toilet paper. I mean, it's true. Humans are cutting down tens of thousands of every day just to supply the American need for toilet paper. And the worst part is that when you use trees for toilet paper, it's just one use and done. It can't be reused or recycled. It just goes straight into our water system. That's why I made the switch to real paper. You know, real is 100% bamboo. So we're using a plant that grows fast, can be harvested and regenerated like grass in a lawn and, and doesn't impact entire ecosystems of forest. Real is the best kind of eco-friendly product because it doesn't feel like you're sacrificing something to help the earth. In fact, honestly, it feels like an upgrade. I'm really busy these days, so it's great to have it shipped free to my door, plastic-free packaging, and I can schedule it on a subscription so that it comes exactly when I need it. And y'all, I'm super forgetful, as anyone who knows me knows, so I don't have to worry about picking it up the store where I always forget. I'm a bit of an environmentalist myself too, you know, so I love that Real is now a partner with One Tree Planted and Every box of real that you buy, they're funding reforestation efforts across the country. So unlike other toilet paper products that cuts down trees, real is actually helping to plant trees. Now, real paper is available in easy, hassle-free subscriptions or for one-time purposes on their website. All orders are conveniently delivered to your door with free shipping and 100% recyclable, plastic-free packaging. Now, if you head to realpaper.com fred, Sign up for a subscription using my code FRED at the checkout. You'll automatically get 30% off your first order and free shipping. So that's R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R dot com slash FRED or just enter the promo code FRED. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping. Let's make a change for good this year. Switch to real paper. Real is paper for the planet. Do you know your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? 
If you wake up too hot or too cold like I do often, I really recommend you try out Miracle Made Sheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver infused fabrics and made temperature regulating bedding so you can sleep the perfect temperature all night long. Now that silver infused fabric means that Miracle Made Sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long so you get a better night's sleep. And I can tell you honestly, I have. Now the silver fusion technology also adds an extra benefit. It means the sheets prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them cleaner and fresher three times longer than normal sheets. There's no more gross odors from your sheets. You don't have to worry about any problems with bacteria. They just last longer. Now I've been sleeping with these sheets and they're seriously comfortable without a high price tag of other luxury brands. And they feel as nice, if not nicer than the bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. Stop sleeping on bacteria. <laughs> bacteria clogs your pores, causes breakouts and acne, a whole bunch of problems. Sleep better, sleep clean with Miracle. Now, go try miracle.com slash Fred. That's go to trymiracle.com slash Fred to try Miracle Made Sheets today. Whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use that promo code Fred at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle Made is so confident in their product, it's back with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So, if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Now, upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash Fred and use the code Fred to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40%. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash Fred. Treat yourself. I love the products. I've been using them myself and sleeping like a baby. Now we're back. Uh, I love our sponsors. <laughs> Thanks for your time. And now, so <laughs> circling back, we've been talking national security. We've talked about the International Environment. Of course, you're an intelligence committee, but you're also an agriculture committee. And you're from Virginia, as, as I mentioned that when we were talking the pre-show. I used to live in your district before it was your district. I used to be there with what was Virginia One. Uh, I know how red it was then, by the way. <laughs> um, you know, you've been you've been really pushing a lot of really interesting policies. Let's start in Virginia. You're you're you're, you're district changed a lot last cycle, right? You were up against Yesley Vega and, you know, Glenn Youngkin, of course, and his, he and his red vest backed her. <laughs> and neither the vest nor Glenn Youngkin could help her go over the top. I mean, what are your priorities for you at home as you work in Virginia and as you look at the next cycle? Where are you prioritizing your work right for your home state right now? Well, so you mentioned my work on the Agriculture Committee. I'm the only Virginian on the Agriculture Committee. Um, Virginia's number one private industry is agriculture, number two is tourism, number three is forestry. Um, And this year is a farm bill year. So every five years we pass uh, a major piece of legislation called the Farm Bill Mm -hmm. that really addresses a whole host of issues, everything from some of our food security programs to commodity programs to rural development programs um, to conservation programs that are vital certainly to our farmers uh, and producers, but also to our long-term efforts at addressing um, and mitigating the impact of climate change. Um, and so from a Virginia perspective, I have been uh, focused on the farm bill as one of my primary areas uh, because I am representing all the voices of Virginia agriculture. Yeah. So we've done you know summits and events across the district. Um, ideally, we're moving forward on that piece of legislation. Um, also, the deployment of dollars that we have actually already voted on um, in programs and, and laws at yeah. this point, the infrastructure law, the mm. chips and science law, right? These are programs, uh, these are you know, laws that, yeah. that are meant to bring federal dollars and investments to communities uh, across the country. And certainly with the infrastructure bill, um, given where you used to live, you used to spend some time on 95. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about it. The yeah. Yeah. Bridge oh, more I than one time. Hey, like I said, my, uh, my daughter's <laughs> got a business in downtown Fredericksburg. I, I used to have my, my company offices right in downtown Fredericksburg, the Falmouth Bridge or just anything on I-95. Of course, they're building hot lanes. I mean, and I, it's, it's funny how I-95 is such a pain for everyone. Yeah, and and you know, then the secondary roads and and yeah. the local bridges. I mentioned Very that dangerous. bridge because a, a number of months ago, I was out with the Virginia Department of Transportation, yeah. where they were walking me through the modifications and improvements that will uh, occur with that bridge and the time frame because of the infrastructure law. Yeah. Um. So making sure that the deployment of those federal resources in the way that we intended are, are getting out to the people that I represent is a major priority. And then, you know, I focus on issues that uh, directly impact constituents. And, um, you know, just a couple examples of, of those I had. And this is something I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of because it matters to 
you know, not a huge group of people, but it certainly matters. Um, well, let me first talk the, the PACT Act, the Honoring Our PACT Act. Yes. That matters to millions of yeah. veterans. You got a lot of veterans. The country. You got a lot of veterans. Um, and so any, <laughs> anyone who's listening, if you're a veteran, please make sure uh, that, that, that you know, I want to tell you, there's 23 uh, different illnesses that now have presumptive service-connected uh, uh, classifications. So that makes it much easier for veterans who might have been impacted by you know, Agent Orange uh, in prior years, uh, burn pit toxins, um, certainly in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. And so that was a major success, something yeah. I'm extraordinarily proud of, yeah. uh, proud to have voted for that, proud to have helped usher that law um, in, into being. Um, but relatedly, I met a man very early in my tenure in Congress in his 90s, and he was uh, an atomic veteran. Ah. And atomic veterans are those who are exposed to radiation um, at the end of World War II and then uh, yep. in the subsequent years. Yeah. They were sworn to secrecy. Many of them uh, died very young because of illnesses they contracted due to their radiation exposure. And um, for years, they kept their secret. They, they weren't able to tell their physicians that this might have been a contributing cause for my cancer, you know, the list goes on and on, but this duty to the, the to country and secrecy um, is something that they carried. And so I met this veteran who said, I just, you know, somehow he has maintained his health and his sense of humor. And he, um, you know, he said, I want years after I'm gone to know that my brothers in arms are remembered. Yeah. And so we worked for years, a little bit relentlessly to ensure that Atomic Veterans Day um, is recognized um, and is every year celebrated. And so it was just last week that Atomic Veterans Day was observed because indeed we got it signed into law that every year the president shall announce yeah. and celebrate Atomic Veterans Day. And so, you know, that is one of, it's a, I am proud of many of the pieces of legislation, you know, that have like real meat on the bones in terms yeah. of what they deliver to communities, funding yeah. and federal support and policy impact. Um, but this is one where a man who has spent the entirety of his life making sure that those he served with who died young would not be forgotten. And the idea that we could finally get that across the finish line for him. And I'll tell you something funny. You mentioned redistricting. He was districted out of my uh -huh. district in, um, in redistricting. And so that was right about the time that I called him to say, it's done. We got it done. We did it. We did it. I promised you we'd get it done. We did and he says, oh, Abigail, it's a shame about that redistricting. <laughs> I was finally fixing to vote for you. <laughs> you finally pulled it off. And, yeah. See, so, you know, and the idea, you know, and so <laughs> across Virginia, the exciting thing is, is we have um, 100 seats in the House of Delegates that are up yeah. this year, this November, 40 seats uh, in our state Senate. So that's the entirety of our General Assembly is up for uh, election. Wow. Um, and we have a lot of new candidates running, redistricting really uh, changed some of the districts around substantially. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's been exciting to be on the ground in Virginia. Certainly, you know, we talked a little bit about abortion in context of Tommy Tuberville's, you know, the relentless efforts to undermine our national security on his one man rampage yeah. um, uh, against DOD policy. But, you know, certainly within Virginia, um, abortion and issues related to abortion continues to be uh, an, an issue that drives people to the polls or at least drives them to engage in politics. Yeah. Um, I was at an event over the weekend in support of a state Senate candidate and a house of delegates candidate, you know, and a gentleman introduced himself to me who I uh, had met him some years ago, but he said, you know, I'm not really involved in politics. So we met a couple of years ago, but I haven't seen you in a while. Um, but I am really engaged this year. And he um, yeah, he's, his birthday is not on Wikipedia, but I placed him maybe early 60s. Um, and, and, you know, he was saying it's, it's terrible from his perspective that, you know, his daughters and women have fewer freedoms than, you know, his, his wife or, you know, other women who were coming up of age, um, after the, the Roe v. Wade decision was made. Um, and, and so it's interesting to see just how, much these sort of attacks on our freedoms uh, continue to be incredibly important as a woman. I appreciate everyone's continued engagement. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly we have a governor in Virginia 
who has said he's sign um, of, you know, legislation restricting abortion were to come to his desk. Yeah. And thankfully, we had a Senate that stopped those bills in their tracks. I'm a Louise Lucas uh, super fan, we... by the way. I'm a Louise Lucas super fan. <laughs> I actually bought, I have, a, I have one of her, I have one of her blue vests. <laughs> so, oh, if you remember, she, she gave, she sold blue vests of her own in support of Louise Lucas's. I'm a huge. Well, I suppose it. maybe some of your listeners, but she is an amazing state senator who takes uh, great pride in calling uh, herself <laughs> and the rest of her Senate colleagues the, the brick wall. The brick wall. Um, and, and the, um, you know, amount of determination and at times staff that that woman brings to political conversations. <laughs> I am deeply appreciative of, of all that she um, continues to do. She has uh, been in Virginia politics for years and always been uh, a, a loud um, and important valuable voice um, in in kind of all issues of what's right and issues of principle so um so yes her brick wall her brick wall held but (laughs) you know i it would be nice if she had a little bit of a break and didn't have help yeah you know ideally they just won't get to her yeah Uh, so that's the goal with these elections i think you said something real key there that you know doing the right thing in in, in, as a representative election i I loved hearing your story about jim and the atomic veteran i mean uh, so often i'm so blessed to speak to elected leaders like yourself i've had a number of them you know on the show recently and and those are often the story it's my my favorite part talking to an elected official like like yourself who's been in it for a while is like it's funny how often you and your peers will that's the stories I hear. It's not, oh, I passed this huge legislation that stopped this or that. It's this one constituent had a real big problem and we were able to fix it. And I just love it. Constituent services is never sexy. Um, it never comes up and it never seems to come up in, in re-election campaigns. But I just love the way talking to elected officials who's passionate about their works. That's that's the thing you hang your hat on. It's like handing that plaque, that one gentleman who couldn't get his VA disability right and all that stuff. Um, I love hearing that. Now I want I can't let you go without bringing up the one that you you've been fighting a battle pretty hard on the on the Stock Act. The the idea that you know congressional members, their immediate family members should not be able to trade in international or excuse me individual stock trades. Um, tell me about where that's at, and that's bipartisan too. I believe you are talking with some Republicans on that. And where's that fight? <laughs> that fight's gone on a few years. Where are you in the fight? Tell us more about why you're taking on this battle. It's again powerful forces on both sides of the aisle. Frankly, are against this idea. Uh, yet you've been very loud about it. Tell us about this idea of stocking these, stopping stock trading. Well, and if anyone is, you know, has been paying a lot of attention to the floor debates over the NDA, you might recognize a particular name, and that would be Congressman Chip Roy. Yes. Chip Roy out of Texas. Um, he and I disagree on a lot. <laughs> But uh, we have the same birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the understatement. God bless you. uh, We disagree on a lot, but we have the same birthday. Okay. And we both went to the University of Virginia. Oh, okay. And so I I say that because we, when UVA was doing really well in basketball, uh, we struck up a little bit of a casual basketball-focused friendship, found out we had the same birthday, and from there said, you know, it doesn't appear that we agree on much. I wonder if there's something we could work on. And we, uh, there, there have been comical conversations where, you know, well, what about this? What, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> and then in the early days of COVID, when there was just report after report that this senator bought these stocks and yeah. this House member sold these stocks, um, he and I were on the floor and we were talking and somehow it came up like, this is unbelievable. Like, this is a problem. Right. And we said, okay, like, let's do something about it. Because the problem isn't just that there's reports that senators or house members are buying or selling these stocks. That's a problem in and of itself. But the secondary effect is that the American public say, of course they are. Right. Look at them, right? They're benefiting themselves. And so the actual action is problematic in and of, them, in and of itself. Yeah. But then the fact that it is feeding this narrative that, that the American people can't trust us or the American people don't trust us or what's the point of engaging in politics or everybody's in it for themselves, right? Yeah. That narrative is deeply damaging to the fabric of our country. Yeah. Um, and so Chip and I got to work on this and said, okay, what are, what are the, what's the problem we're trying to solve for? And we named our legislation um, ultimately the trust in Congress act. It's a longer acronym. Yeah but it would ban members of Congress from buying or selling individual stocks. Um, and it's pretty straightforward. We vote on bills that can move markets. We have meetings with industry leaders because, you know, frankly, we need to. It informs much of what we do. Yeah. 
And they share very openly and honestly what they're seeing in the marketplace, what they're seeing in their business, the challenges they're facing, the successes they're having. And on any given day, we could walk out of that room and with that information, potentially make better stock choices than the average American. Um, and, and thankfully, there were some major leaders 10 years ago who put in, uh, in place the original um, legislation surrounding stock purchases, right? It was a phenomenally good step in the right direction because it actually used to be totally legal for members of Congress to actually insider trade. Yeah. Now that is no longer legal, thank God. Um, and we have great transparency. But through that transparency, we still see that there are major problems in the system. Yeah. So what's the solution? Stop us from banning or stop us from buying or selling individual stocks. It is very bipartisan in its support. Uh, You know, we've got, we've got everybody. And if you're kind of looking at the ideological spectrum, we've got everybody from Chip Roy to Barbara Lee. Right. Um, And, and that's a wide gap, Um, but people are united um, around this idea. It's also bipartisan in its opposition. Yes, um, yes but we continue to add co-sponsors. We continue to engage people. And what was very interesting is we had so many of the members who came in new, uh, who were just elected in 22, uh, skewing more towards Democrats, but there were a couple of Republicans as well. Along the campaign trail, they were asked about our legislation. Hmm. And so there were actually some first-time candidates or you know, first-time congressional candidates who ran ads saying that they were going to support our legislation, who talked across the campaign trail about how this is one of the reforms they think is important to restoring yeah. people's faith yeah. um, in our system. And, you know, we faced some headwinds along the way. Uh, the former speaker certainly um, expressed that you know, she hadn't been supportive. The current speaker has, has <laughs> intimated here and there that he might support it, maybe kind of, sort of. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I think that was... <laughs> he has plenty of time to to demonstrate that that indeed is the case. But, yeah. um, you know, Chip and I continue to push it um, and continue to make sure that for anyone out there who thinks, oh, you know, things, things need to be better on Capitol Hill and I want to trust my member of Congress a bit more. Now, this is a great piece of legislation to advocate for. I don't, you know, uh, I don't think it, it solves all the challenges that Congress faces in a day. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it certainly makes it so you would know or any American would know that when when a member of Congress votes on something, it's because, you know, they generally think it's the right thing to do. Right. Now, we could disagree with them on that. Yeah. But at, at the very least, uh, we as Americans know it's not because it should benefit them or benefit their stock portfolio. I love it. I think it's a brave fight and it is a necessary fight. You're right. It, it's, it's, we say this a lot, right? It's not just the, if we worry about what the PR fallout is inside the actual policy and the danger to our nation, then we, we, we lose sight of the ball. So, well, congratulations. Good luck on that. <laughs> I think I've gotten you Thank way you. over time. I'm sure your staff's like, we got to go. <laughs> I mean, it's just been a joy talking to you. If you get a chance, go to Fredericksburg. Stop by Sugar and Spruce. It's the uh, terrific. <laughs> I got to put a plug in my daughter's now business. Now I got to pull yeah. it up on a map. It's right I, there. I, I, right I think Caroline I have Street. actually been in there and I, I think, think I have. have a visual for which one it is. I think you have. It's right there on Caroline Street. But now I get to go in and say, guess who I know? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Oh, that guy. He's nothing but trouble. Because I was walking there and go, what do you guys do here? Oh. It's a bit of a running joke. What do you guys do here? <laughs> well, I appreciate your time, man. Well, uh, thanks for your time. Thanks for everything you're doing for our country, the fight you're in. I know it's not easy. I know you've got a lot of headwinds in your own district, very matter of fact. And so uh, we appreciate you being the fight for us. Thank you so much. Thanks for all you do. And thanks to all your listeners for uh, you know wanting to see improvements along the way. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a journey that every American who wants to, you know, really uphold the we, the people and, you know, the, the defense of our democracy. Um, it's, we need everybody. So thanks to everybody who's listening, who is continues to be a part of that effort. Good to be in the fight. Well, thanks so much, man. What a great conversation. Uh, Congressman Spamberg is one of my friends. I'm a fan of hers. I've I've bumped into her in Virginia, and uh, you can see how dedicated she is to not just our national career, but the the. You see how she how she starts mile more talking about what's happening in Virginia and how she's making a difference. That's what I love. I love talking to elected officials with that passion about the people they serve. I don't think there's enough of that. I will circle back to Mary. I love the fact she plugged the PACT Act, as you may recall from a previous show. Uh, 
I was in Washington, D.C. at the VA, spoke to the secretary. Uh, if you file your claim for the PACT Act, if you're a veteran or a loved one of a veteran, if they file their claim or intent to file, by August 9th, it'll be, no matter how long it takes for you to file your paperwork and get it approved, it will be backdated the day the law was signed, August 10th of a year ago. So I got to tell you, I did it, you guys. I finally did it. I, I already have a VA disability, but um, I'll, I'm very open. Gulf War syndrome was not a, a, a presumed condition for me, and I, now it is. So I refiled my paperwork, and I haven't finished all the medical paperwork, but since I went to the website, opened up the, 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 the easy-to-fill-out form, said, hey, I'm going to file for PACT Act, it's now called an intent to file. And so that holds my date. So I've made the deadline and it may take me two or three months to get my paperwork and all, but it's worth it. So if you're a veteran, the loved one of a veteran, they haven't filed, if they serve in Vietnam or anywhere in the Central Command region, which is Desert Shield or Storm Forward uh, to the modern era, Afghanistan, they should really look at the PACT. And that's va.gov slash P-A-C-T. Again, va.gov slash PACT. As you can see, the congressman's all for it. I am too. You know, another thing I do, I gotta, I, I gotta do a little demo. So you know, I'm a, I'm the proud to be the chairman of the Forgotten Democrats, and you've heard me talk about this before. Every week, I mention it. Forgotten Democrats is a community of organiz a community of folks who are working to make sure we elect more people in those hard races. As I've mentioned before, 23 Republicans ran unopposed last cycle. Another 126 ran with a, 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 a opponent who who never raised quite enough money. To really put up a good fight. You know, on average, it's it's a science. There's actually science that shows you know in the average congressional district, it takes about two hundred thousand dollars to really put up a good fight. And uh, these 129 races, they only raised an average of $71,000. It's not enough. And I was laughing the other day. So here's, here's the demo. This is a cupcake, right? And it looks delicious. And when you pick a cupcake, you know, what do you look at, right? You look at the frosting and all, you know, the sprinkles on top, the, the decoration. And, and, and that's, that's what we look at in a cupcake. And this is really our politics right now, right? Look at this pretty cupcake. On the sprinkles on top, what are the sprinkles on top? That's the Republican. Let's say this is the Republican caucus. The sprinkles are all the MAGA, right? We spend a lot of time thinking about the sprinkles and the decorations on the cupcake because that's our MAGA. And a lot of political groups are worried about those sprinkles. And that's fine. We need we need people focusing on that. And then there's the frosting. That's a lot of the, the extremists that maybe aren't Freedom Caucus or otherwise, but they get a lot of the attention. They get a lot of the air. People want to oppose them. Maybe they're the leader of a Republican Party. Maybe it's, you know, Kevin McCarthy's district. We want to take them on. But here's the thing. We wouldn't give a damn about them if it wasn't for this part down here. The part we always forget about when we buy cupcakes. What's the cake test like? Look, we wouldn't have MAGA people up top like this and care if there wasn't a giant cake underneath. And no one in our political sphere often worries about dealing with this part right here. No one's dealing with the part that's ignored. These are the little quiet Republicans and congressmen you may never hear about. They, they do a really great job of looking like wallpaper and ignored. And people are taking them on across the country. Great Americans are stepping up to run for office in those tough races and not get the support they need. And that's where Forgotten Democrats comes in. We know that if we can run everybody everywhere, if we can run someone somewhere all the time, you know what's going to happen? We're not going to have to worry about the MAGA. We're not going to have to worry about the rest of the frosting because it's going to be much smaller cake. It's going to be a mini cupcake. And that's what our mission is to do, is to help those who are running, raise funds, give them money, give them support in these tough districts. I had a lovely conversation with a woman named Kaylee Peterson who's running, uh, God bless her, Idaho, uh, Idaho won, a huge district. She's ran once before. She's running again. She was only able to raise about $60,000 last cycle. I, I don't want to see you have to go through that again when she steps up bravely to take on some actually dangerous people in her district. And that's what we need. So that's it. There's your cupcake analysis right there. Let's start worrying about the sprinkles. Let's start worrying about the cake. And that's what we're going to do. So you can learn more. It's ForgottenDemocrats.com. E really easy way to get on our email list. I love it. Just text FRED to 33777. That's 33777. That's how you can get on our mailing list. You'll learn more about what we're doing. We've got a big Zoom coming up in August where we'll have another guest. Maybe even Kaylee will come on and tell us a little about her race. I hope you'll join us. Uh, again, that's Forgotten Democrats. I'd love to be a part of it. In the meantime, thank you so much for joining our show. As you can see, this is a great one. We're getting so many cool guests now. I, I was just telling Matt, the producer back there, about some of the people who are reaching out to us who want to join the show because of you. 
because of you, you, the Myest Touch Network, who's who's watching this on YouTube, you, the listeners who download the app, or the podcast, and take it with you to the pool and on your road trips, you who leave positive reviews, you who share it, you who leave your amazing comments. And by the way, I see your comments. I'll give you an example. Matt and I are laughing from the show. You notice I reduced the size of my books, and I love having all my guest books, but I've had a lot of guests now, and the bookshelf was getting as big as my desk. <laughs> and one of the great, somebody left the comments like, hey, Fred, I love your set, but I can't see you behind that wall of books. I'm like, well, that's true. So I took your advice and I reduced my books. If you're out there, I'm going to be looking for your comment on YouTube this weekend. <laughs> but that's the thing. So we do listen and leave this. So please be part of our conversation. Leave your comments, positive ones I love. If you're mad at me about how fast I talk, I apologize for that. I really would love to slow down, but... I don't know. I've been like this for 50 years. <laughs> so it's wonderful having you part of it. Again, you can find me. I'm still on Twitter, folks. I did a big thread about a really explosive thing going on in Georgia where it's a, it's a weird media organization supported by dark money is digging up all the voter information, including their signature cards. I'm still out there at, at FP Wellman. I'm really on, I'm really loving threads. I'm on threads now at, at FP Wellman Official. Same thing on Instagram, at FP Wellman Official. Of course, the show is on Democracy Pod, and we have our own YouTube channel. If you ever want to check out, you can find actually all the shows, even before we join the Miles Touch Network, on there. Uh, and that's on Democracy Podcast on YouTube. Man, I love it. And thanks as always to our friends at Half Coast Studios and our friends at Vi Media, VIE.media is our good sponsor from day one of this program. They're your digital marketing partner right here in St. Louis. With that, I can't wait to see you guys next week. The fight continues. There's a lot of exciting things going on. Don't lose hope. I said something on Twitter this week. We are winning. I know it doesn't feel like it sometimes, but we're on the right side of history. You have to believe we're winning. So keep up the fight.